everybody. Welcome back to the Because We Went to Therapy podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Emily. And today we have a really fun episode talking about different pop culture, uh, like psychology, mental health terminology, you know, things that you see overused everywhere, like narcissism, gaslighting. We'll be talking about what the heck those things actually mean, how to properly use them, and if they are used incorrectly, which I think we'll find out that oftentimes they definitely are. But first, we're going to do our typical actually curious question. And I'm also curious to see if anybody's actually purchased this game since we've started talking about it and played it with their friends or family. So definitely let us know on our Instagram if you've played this game before since we started um, talking about it on the podcast or a game similar to it. All right, M. Question is, what do you keep on hand in your fridge without fail? Like, what do you always have? It's a good question. Very thought-provoking. I know. I was, I didn't, (laughs) usually you tell me the questions before we record, so I'm caught off guard this time. Yeah, I want Um, to be a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) You were scheming. Um, Right. I mean, I could think of a few things that I always have in my fridge. One of them is definitely oat milk because I literally drink oat milk every day in my coffee and I'm lactose intolerant. So oat milk is used for everything that like you could use like a regular milk for like baking. Um, I just made pancakes this morning and we used oat milk instead of regular milk. So I always have oat milk. Um other than that, I feel like my like we're one of those people that only shop per week, so my fridge is never like really really full. Um, so we have like the basics, like I said, like eggs and like things like that, but it's never like stocked stocked. Mm-hmm. I would say my answer is probably actually the same. I was gonna say sweet baby rays or ketchup <laughs> because we always have that and ranch, but. Um... We're a big dipping family over here, but also oat milk because like you, we go to the grocery store pretty often. We usually have like maybe three days of meals max because we live two blocks from our grocery store and we walk there all the time, but my grocery store doesn't always have oat milk in stock. So every time I go, I get two cartons of the oat milk I like, which is the Chobani like extra creamy to put my coffee in for baking. I put it in my protein shakes and all that good stuff. So this week I had four cart, like four huge cartons of oat milk in my fridge because I'm so (laughs) afraid of like not having it for my coffee since my grocery store sometimes won't have it for a couple weeks at a time. So just every time I'm there or anytime I'm at a store that has it, I have to grab it because it's just so good. What brand do you like? I was going to say, I'll have to try that. We buy this like six pack from Costco, which is Mm. because then we're always stocked, right? Like every time we go to Costco, we just grab a box. um, So we never run out. It's like the Oat Barista. It's like a blue bottle. I don't know. I think it's really good. I think they use it at some coffee shops around because it's like Barista's Choice, I guess is what it's called. Mm -hmm. But it's really good. And actually a Starbucks or like coffee shop hack I just mostly had Starbucks, but there's also a coffee shop across my street that I just did this at yesterday. So you know how like um, places charge you for oat milk? So Mm -hmm. I started just being like, can I just get a three shots of espresso over ice with one pump of either hazelnut if I'm at like a bougie, not bougie, but just like not a Starbucks. And then if I'm at Starbucks, I get brown sugar. So if you just get that and then at home, I'll add my own oat milk because I'm paying, you're paying like a dollar every time. And we get like six cartons of it for like $6 at Costco. So I'm like, (laughs) I'm saving money. So that's my Starbucks or coffee shop hack. If you're going home after, right? Like if you're just going like running errands or something, you probably want to get the oat milk, but because we literally live walking distance from a Starbucks and this really good coffee shop called MFG. If any of my Phoenix babes are listening, you should try it. And so I just add my oat milk at home and I feel like it saved me a lot of dollars at this point. Yeah, that's a really good point because every time I go out to get a latte, I usually just get like an oat milk latte with maybe like a pump of something or cinnamon 
whatever and it's like six or seven dollars i'm like what the hell this is so expensive we're in i could just right. make it at home for right. so much cheaper and i do like supporting local coffee places so i will go every once in a while but you're right like the prices are insane so i should start trying to do that you should because then like yesterday my coffee was like 3.95 just for the espresso and oh, wow. the one pump of hazelnut that's yeah, so cheap so for i know coffee. i know and I even tipped at this local coffee shop because I was like, you know what? I'm saving some money on this, so I'm going to tip and, you know, help this person out. Yeah, definitely try the Chobani Extra Creamy because it just makes your coffee, it's like, gives it that extra little, it's a little bit thicker, almost like a coffee creamer versus just regular oat milk. I don't know. Try it out. Okay. Let me know what you think. It's It's really good. Okay, I'm going to try it. And actually, fun fact about me, I used to not drink coffee up until um, literally July of 2021. I didn't drink coffee, so I made it through um, grad school, undergrad, never drank coffee. And then, Did you just not like it? Yeah, and like my parents didn't drink coffee growing up, and so like it was never in the house. And so then mm-hmm. when I went to college, like I – was it? I'm I'm a tea girl. Like I still love tea, but sort of always just get like iced tea. So if I went to Starbucks or a coffee shop or something, but then um, I'll have to. We'll have to do an episode where we talk about my engagement story and like all the wedding stuff. But essentially, when my fiance proposed, we were in Tahoe, and he he did it. And then the ne- I didn't sleep that night because I was just like so excited and jittery that the next day I was like I'm so exhausted. And, like we have this. Um, we were going on like a drive around the lake. So I was like, I need something. So he's like, well, let's just go get an energy drink. And I was like, well, I don't like energy drinks. So he's like, okay, just, let's just get a coffee and you can try it. And I liked it like a lot. And I've literally had coffee oh. almost every, every day since, which like, thank God, because now that I'm wedding planning and working now you're time, dependent on it. <laughs> actually, literally, like I have an espresso now. Like I bought it for myself oh my for gosh. Christmas because I was like, I'm an addict now. We have an espresso too. Nothing beats it. Like curing so regular good. coffee pot, nothing beats an espresso. It's so good. It makes me feel so high class. Yeah. And every morning I'm like, literally like sometimes drinking my coffee is motivation for me to go to the gym. Cause I'm like, you know what? After the gym, I'll get to come home, make myself a nice um, ice latte. Yes. Sometimes before I go to bed at night, I'm like, oh, I can go to sleep and then I can have my coffee in the morning. Like I just crave it and I get excited <laughs> to have it. <laughs> it's crazy how like this, like I'm literally drinking one right now, how this drink can like become something that you look forward to every day. And I never got I the know, hype. Literal bean water. I drink it every day. So, so like Ashley mentioned, we're going to be talking about pop culture, mental health buzzwords because we feel like, especially in the last couple of years, things like gaslighting and narcissistic and sociopath and trigger have been words that have been utilized so much on social media. And one, like, I'm really glad that we're talking about these things more. And at the same time, sometimes they're used out of con- like out of proper context, and that can be damaging. So today we wanted to have a little fun with like talking about these words and also provide some real definitions. We're using we're going to be using the DSM to provide some of the definitions and also some other, you know, kind of like statistics to back up yeah. what these words actually mean and how prevalent some of the stuff, some of these things actually are, because I've been wanting to do this episode literally since we started the podcast, because I feel like anytime I go on any sort of website or social media and it's like, you know, you see TikToks about narcissism and a narcissistic relationship or abuse or trauma bonding or meeting a sociopath and it makes you seem like that stuff is extremely prevalent and it's everywhere and well I think as we dive into it we'll realize that some of these terms are not used properly and hopefully we can educate you guys on what they actually mean and how to use them properly and to have some background if somebody uses it out of context you can kind of educate them on what this terminology actually means yeah and we also want to start off by saying like if you use these terms like we're not trying to shame you or like you'll make you feel bad for saying these words because I'm a therapist and I've definitely used these words out of context or 
in their proper definition before. So we're more just coming from like an educational standpoint, not like a ugh. I can't believe you use those words because like we yeah. all do at some point. So we just wanted to give that disclaimer before we start. Mm-hmm. Definitely not in a shaming way whatsoever. I mean, I know before I really started getting into psychology, I use these words all the time. And that's why I want to talk about it because it really freaked me out because I thought like, for example, our first topic is going to be gaslighting. I thought if somebody was gaslighting you and meant they were like absolutely evil and just like this horrible, unredeemable person. And I realized later that that's not exactly the case. So M, do you want to give us the DSM definition of gaslighting? So there actually is no DSM definition of gaslighting. Gaslighting is a newer term being used, and so it's not in the current DSM. I do wonder if it'll be in the new version. Actually, the new version's out. I should probably get that. My bad. Um, but <laughs> it might be in the new version, but it's not in the DSM-5, which is what I have. Um, I did, however, find a definition just from Googling gaslighting Uh, from the Oxford Dictionary. It's to manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. The term may also be used to describe a person who presents a false narrative to another group or person, which leads them to doubt their perceptions and become misled, disoriented, or distressed. So I feel like when you hear that, that can be kind of intense to think like this person's losing their grip on their reality because of what another Mm -hmm. person is doing to them and when you when the word psychological i think means bitch right like we have to use a language in order to guess like gaslight somebody right and em have you ever watched the movie uh the girl on the train i have not that is what I would sum up like an extreme version of gaslighting is spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Basically, the movie is about this woman that got a divorce from her husband and her her, her husband basically lies to her or her ex-husband throughout the entire movie and makes it seem like it's her fault that they broke up. She was an alcoholic. She was abusive. Makes it totally seem like her fault. And it comes out at the end of the movie that he just completely distorted her reality and basically made it seem like she was a horrible person and everything was her fault when at the end of the movie he was this sociopath manipulating everybody around him and obviously that's like a really really extreme example but um that's definitely somewhere where I've seen it more recently in pop culture but I see the term gaslight thrown around all the time like somebody lied to you oh they're gaslighting you oh they're a gaslighter and it's also really closely linked in a lot of people's minds i think to narcissism because Mm -hmm. a lot of narcissists will gaslight people but just because somebody gaslights you doesn't mean that they're a narcissist it's not always connected right no they're not always connected and i think that's people automatically do make that connection. And while we all gaslight people to some extent, right? Like very little, like if you tell someone, if someone says like, I'm feeling blank because you did this and that person's like, I didn't do that. And it's like, okay, that's a small example of gaslighting. But if that happens over and over again, then that can become a bigger example of gaslighting. Right. But And like is social media gaslighting if you edit your pictures? Could that be seen as gaslighting? See, like, you could use it in so many ways. Yeah, but actually, I feel like that's not gaslighting because when I think about gaslighting, I think about someone being intentionally manipulative, right? In Mm -hmm. the sense that, like, maybe they're not like, okay, I'm going to gaslight this person. Like, they're maybe they're not saying that because I feel like most people who gaslight people seriously don't have awareness right like good self-awareness and so they don't know what they're doing um Mm -hmm. however if somebody is telling you if someone's doing something over and over again and then you're getting upset about it and they're like why are you being so sensitive or like why are you upset about this I didn't do anything like why are you acting like this you're being crazy that's gaslighting right where I feel like editing your pictures you know what you're doing but you're not intentionally doing that to somebody 
because you're just doing it the audience because you want to look a certain way. You know what I mean? Right. You're not doing it to intentionally hurt them or make them think that they're going crazy. It's more of when you need to watch out for is when it's like a repeated behavior and constantly you notice this thing going on over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. If it's something like you are starting to believe that you're the quote unquote crazy one, whenever like clients say that to me when they're like, I feel like I'm going crazy because my partner or my friend or my parent does X, Y, and Z. That's, that's for me a sign that, okay, maybe we are dealing with gaslighting here because they're feeling so like they can't, you literally lose your sense of self or you can lose your sense of self. You lose your ability to understand what's happening in the relationship if things are actually happening or not when it's severe gaslighting. And I feel like because Mm -hmm. it's such a buzzword now, people, it's crazy because I think because it's just a buzzword, people who actually are gaslit have an even harder time understanding what's happening to them because they're like, is this gaslighting? Because someone used this on social media or TikTok the other day and that's gaslighting. So is this gaslighting? Do you know what I mean? I feel like because it's such a- Like everything becomes gaslighting. Right. And so people who are actually being gaslit by someone who is manipulative or abusive- I feel like they can have a harder time understanding if that what's happening to them is gaslighting or not. Mm -hmm. And when you see true cases of gaslighting, is it typically you would say the person doing the lying is, you know, very much intentionally doing that and trying to distort that person's reality for whatever reason? See, that's true. I don't want to summer like general. I mean, generalize cases because I think it's completely different. But the most common type of gaslighting I see is when someone can't validate someone else's feelings or their reality. And I don't think that that's intentional manipulation. I think that that's a lot of people don't know how to validate their own feelings, let alone other people's feelings, right? Like if, like I was saying before, like someone saying, "I'm, I'm really hurt that you canceled plans six times in a row," and someone's like. God, why are you so sensitive? Or like, can't you just get over it? That's the most common type of gaslighting I see in my work as a therapist. And I I often don't think that that's um, intentional. I think that, that that is that other person not being able to validate those person's feelings. Right. Okay. That's a good explanation. So basically, if you are in a situation where you're gaslighting somebody, it doesn't make you an evil person. You know, it could just, you could learn to do better. And especially if you notice that it's happening repeatedly over and over again, but it doesn't necessarily automatically mean you have a personality disorder, which is what a lot of people equate it to sometimes. No, it doesn't. A lot of people with narcissistic personality disorder do gaslight others, but that's more um, intentional than people who gaslight their partners or their friends unintentionally and it doesn't make it okay just because it's unintentional it just means yeah it's usually not the person isn't um, intentionally trying to hurt somebody mm-hmm. and I almost feel like that is comforting or good to know in a way because for a while I remember and I don't know if this was like my intrusive thoughts kind of getting a hold of these things but I would be like oh this person lied about something does that mean they're lying about everything? Does that mean everything that they've told me is a lie? And it's, that's not necessarily the case. Like Emily was saying, it's very much a gray area. Every case is so unique. So if you do Mm -hmm. think that this is something that is happening to you repeatedly, definitely, you know, make sure to talk to an outside person, third party, a friend, a therapist, of course, that can kind of help you work through these emotions and see what is what from a third party perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Because gaslighting can make you feel crazy. It is Mm -hmm. important. And whenever I say crazy, I always use quotes, because I don't think that anyone's actually crazy. Um, But it can make you feel like you don't even know what's happening in your own reality. And so, yes, it's super important to be able to talk to somebody to be like, okay, is this what's happening? Is this not what's happening? Because, yeah, your mind starts to make up things because you're being gaslit so much. Mm -hmm. Almost like detaching from 
what the actual situation at hand is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And kind of to pivot into a very much intertwined topic is narcissism, which the DSM definition is a pervasive pattern of grandiosity in fantasy or behavior, need for admiration, and lack of empathy beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts as indicated by indicated by a grandiose sense of self-importance you're being preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success power brilliance beauty or ideal love they believe that they are special and unique and can only be understood by all very other special and unique or high status people they require excess admiration um, has a very uh, intense sense of entitlement can be interpersonally explosive, which kind of can be takes advantage of others or gaslights others. Lack of empathy is a huge one. And they can show arrogant behaviors or attitudes. And they're often envious of others or they believe that people are envious of them. So I know that was a lot of criteria, which just goes to show you that a person has to meet five of these symptoms in order to be diagnosed as a narcissism which is why throwing around the word so much like oh he's a narcissist or like oh they're blank you know they're such a narcissist because they do x y and z it can be harmful because this says on here that only two to six percent of the population of the people that they did this study on were found to be narcissism and i know like two to six percent a lot of people in the population but this wasn't the entire population that they did this study on right it's like a subset of a subset right so i think that's something that we really want to emphasize is that i see the word narcissism probably every single day either on social media or TikTok or you know buzzfeed articles whatever and it's actually extremely rare to come across a narcissist and just because somebody likes to post pictures of themselves or is really into how they look doesn't make them a narcissist because I see that term thrown around so casually like oh they have injections or something and they post pictures all the time they're a narcissist and it's like let's back it up a little bit that's not exactly what that means Maybe they have a higher right. sense of self or how they look, but that doesn't make them a narcissist. And I am curious, Emily, mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming it's probably difficult to actually diagnose somebody with narcissism because actual narcissists aren't going to see a therapist, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Again, we're not trying to generalize here, but... I mentioned right. this on last week's episode that my internship, we worked, um, I worked with sex addiction and oftentimes sex addiction is associated with narcissistic personality disorder. So we did actually work with people who were diagnosed narcissists in, um, while I was in my internship and our number one goal was trying to get them to have empathy, right? Because it is so hard to tell to talk to somebody about how their behaviors impact someone else when they don't have empathy. And I think what's also important to understand is that every single person that I worked with that was diagnosed with narcissism had trauma in their past. Every single one of them had gone through something really horrible. And that is why they developed this coping skill, this personality disorder, because they had something that they went through and so that shut off their their empathy brain like that because we're all born with empathy and it gets it can grow or it can shrink depending on what happens to us in our life and so again this doesn't excuse any of their behavior like because narcissists can be super damaging to the people around them especially if you have a parent who's a narcissist and it helps explain that okay people aren't like ashley was saying people aren't evil they just been through really difficult things and this is how that they coped with their difficult past mm -hmm. that's so interesting i actually didn't know that because i kind of assumed at first when i was hearing the term narcissism thrown around all the time that you were just born that way that's how you were you were 
like an evil abuser from the beginning and it's honestly like really reassuring Re- maybe reassuring is not the right word but you're not just born that way like you you don't just pop out with a personality disorder like you said it comes from a lot of trauma ha- your brain having to rewire itself so can you actually yeah. be um I don't want to say cured from narcissism but can a narcissist kind of rewire their brain even further to learn empathy for somebody or to uh, minimize some of these narcissistic traits absolutely and there's no cure for any mental health disorder right like we're gonna if you have something it's it's always gonna be within you it doesn't mean you have to like I have PTSD and it doesn't mean that I have those symptoms every day of my life no it just means that I always have the ability to have my PTSD symptoms reactivated if something comes up for me right and same with narcissism if and a lot of times the therapy wasn't always their choice to come to this program. Sometimes it was like an ultimatum by their spouse or not an ultimatum because that sounds bad, but more of like, I'd really you know appreciate if you would go in therapy because you're doing X, Y, and Z, right? So, and that's not the case for everyone that came to the program, but it definitely, there were some people that did come because other people wanted them to come and they were extremely hard to work with because you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. However, if they were willing to get help Yes, I absolutely, I believe anyone can, um, can change. I believe, I believe in the power of therapy, which means I believe that with time, with repeated exposure, with doing the inner work, yes, you can rewire your brain to develop empathy. And a lot of times it comes by healing your own trauma, right? Being able to accept the things that happened to you, feeling the pain around that. So then you then can feel other people's pain. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So in a nutshell, is it fair to say that narcissism or any toxic traits that you have or that somebody could have are basically them projecting their trauma onto other people and their triggers onto other people? And once you work on healing that within yourself, it just gets better in every aspect of how you treat those around you? Yeah. I mean, again, it's hard to say because each case is so or each person is so different, but I absolutely believe that people in we, this was like a week or two week program. So like, obviously it's not going to be like, okay, I'm completely healed in one to two weeks. Right. right. And like, not that we can ever be completely healed either. And so I feel like, yes, if you do, if you really work hard and you do the inner work and you um, reflect because with narcissism, you don't have the ability to reflect right? Like that's just because you're, you think you're literally a God, right? Or you can feel like you are. And so it's like, I'm, I don't need to reflect because I'm perfect. Right. And right. so I definitely think that people can absolutely change and better themselves, which then can better the people, better how they treat other people and then therefore better their relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That definitely makes sense. And would you say that seeing people that have dealt with narcissists or victims of narcissistic abuse is more rare or because so, I don't know when I get on social media it almost seems like maybe it's just my algorithm or something on mental health but it <laughs> seems like you know narcissistic abuse and recovering from it and recognizing it is something that is extremely common but would you say it's maybe more of a subset? Yeah, I'd say more of a subset again. And I want to emphasize that I'm definitely not an expert in uh, narcissistic personality disorder. However, I feel like it's a subset because I can think of a handful of clients right now who have dealt with narcissists in their life. Um, But I don't think it's as common as we see on TikTok or social media because like we were saying, it is really hard to diagnose somebody with narcissism, one, because they might not ever seek help because they don't think they need it, right? Or two, they don't meet all of the criteria to be a narcissist or to be diagnosed with a narcissist. Because I think it's important to note too that people who aren't diagnosed with narcissism can absolutely display display traits of narcissism, right? Like, I think we all have the ability to be, like, kind of like gaslighting, like, 
because we're not we're imperfect humans we all have the ability to you know do a behavior that could be classified as a narcissistic trait but that doesn't mean someone's a narcissist right especially because humans are wired to be selfish like we're wired to survive which means that we have to have selfish tendencies and so we can you know maybe display a sense of entitlement or we want admiration or we want to be special right that doesn't make us narcissists that makes us human so there definitely is a difference between someone who's a diagnosed narcissist versus somebody who has the ability to display traits at time to time Mm -hmm. absolutely and i think the biggest takeaway from this entire conversation is probably we need to stop armchair diagnosing people because Mm -hmm. like Emily you can't diagnose somebody that you haven't actually met no like as a therapist you can't diagnose somebody unless you actually work with them and no you know for somebody like myself who's not licensed to just sit here on the internet and be like oh I think this person is a narcissist because a b and c it does not lend anything to that conversation like I us as lay people cannot just go around diagnosing people with personality disorders which is often done right and like Ashley said I can't do it unless I work with that person so even if I have a client whose friend is a narcissist I can't diagnose that person because I don't work with that person and so yeah we really do need to be careful in how we talk about traits of narcissism because just like with gaslighting I think people who actually deal with narcissism can be like well it's is this person narcissist because his words used so much so everyone can't be a narcissist right so like I said it's just important that we recognize how we're using some of these words Mm -hmm. absolutely so do you want to uh kind of pivot here into another personality disorder uh the term sociopath Yes. So you know what's really interesting is that, again, the DSM does not have a definition for sociopath. We use antisocial personality disorder. That's the true name for sociopath. Sociopath is a, I think, a pop culture word, right? Even though people have been using that for years and years, even before social media. But yeah, we don't actually have a definition for sociopath in the DSM. That's interesting because when I think of the term antisocial personality, to me, I think somebody that's introverted, not somebody that has any bad qualities. They just like to be by themselves. Like I would sometimes classify myself as antisocial, but apparently that means (laughs) sociopath and I had no idea. So don't go, we can't go around saying that anymore either. Right, like, oh, they're antisocial because maybe they're shy, right? Or because they would prefer to be introverted. But the true definition, according to DSM, of antisocial personality disorder is a pervasive pattern of disregard for and violation of the rights of others occurring since age 15, indicated by three or more of the following. Failure, Failure to conform to social norms with respect to lawful behaviors, deceitfulness as indicated by lying, uses of alias or conning people, impulsivity or failure to plan ahead, irritability and aggressiveness indicated by physical fights or assaults, reckless regard for safety of self or others, consistent irresponsibility and lack of remorse. So like that's pretty intense, right? So when we're using the words antisocial to describe someone who's shy or introverted, uh, that's completely completely wrong (laughs) and that's not like a judgment at you ash it's just kind of crazy to think about the difference it is have you ever seen those sweatshirts there's this brand called the anti-social social club yes do you think that they know that technically by the dsm they're calling themselves a sociopath club like i'm sure they don't (laughs) know that because it's a super popular like high-end brand the hoodies are like 130 dollars or something no, I don't think they know. Sociopath. <laughs> I don't think they know because in the DSM it says this pattern has also been referred to as psychopathy, sociopathy, or disocial personality disorder. So, like maybe in previous 
DSMs, it was a, a sociopath or psychopath, but it's actually been changed to be antisocial personality disorder. And I think the reason that it's named that is because this the first um, one where you can't conform to social norms. And I'm, I doubt people wearing these sweatshirts don't conform to social norms in the great sense of like, a lot of times these are murderers or rapists, right? People right. who like actually don't abide by the laws of society. Like the actual extreme of the extreme of the extreme. Right. Right. Like the people you watch crime documentaries about. This these are not necessarily your everyday people that you're running into at the gym or the grocery store or whatever. They could be, I guess, but it's most likely like Ted Bundy or something. Right. A lot of those and I don't know this because I don't know if they've been diagnosed, but I imagine a lot of the serial killers that we know of have been diagnosed or could be diagnosed, I mean, with antisocial personality disorder because, yeah, I mean, the the violence is one of them, right? Like the irritability or aggressiveness or the reckless disregard for other people's safety or well-being. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And like I said, I need to take our advice and not armchair diagnose people like Ted Bundy, but I think after a lot of these <laughs> people are captured and they do go through like psychoanalysis with professionals they are right. diagnosed with some of these things so we do have evidence to actually back that up to say like oh this person was suffering with narcissism or antisocial personality disorder or whatever and that's definitely a very prominent subset of those people so i feel like i see the word sociopath thrown around all the time and I feel like I especially see it when in relation to people not having empathy for one another which now we know that that's more associated with narcissism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely think uh, people with antisocial personality disorder struggle with empathy, right? Because lack of remorse. But I think it's more, way more intense for people with antisocial personality disorder. And so when we, I see this a lot with like relationships, like on social media with somebody like, oh my God, he's a sociopath because like he ended a relationship with me via text. And while that's <laughs> kind of a shitty move, that doesn't necessarily mean someone's an antisocial personality disorder or a sociopath right? Like we use these words and it's like, do we really, and nobody uses them like with malintent for the most part, right? But when we use these words, it's like, no, like there are actually people who, who do meet the criteria for socio, for being a sociopath. So it's really important that we understand these definitions. So we're not using things on social media, like, damn, he's a sociopath or damn, she's a, she's a crazy psychopath. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, because sometimes I think at the end of the day, some people might have, like we were talking about, you know, different tendencies of these personality right. disorders or gaslight or whatever it may be. But sometimes those are things that you learned from your parents or coping mechanisms. And again, that doesn't make them right. And we need to work to make those behaviors better. But that doesn't just mean okay we gotta throw them away they're a sociopath that's not that's not what this means right no absolutely and you know what (laughs) we said this on last week's podcast but as a trauma therapist I think everything's trauma related and so I I've I don't think I've ever worked with somebody who meets criteria for antisocial personality disorder um however if you watch any serial killer documentary they have trauma, right? Like the Ted Bundy, he had had a very abusive mother. Um, I'm trying to, oh, the Unabomber, he had a very um, terrible childhood too. And so again, none of these excuse their behavior in adulthood, but these people are not born this way. Right. They're not just popping out like this. It's very much the nature versus nurture thing. I was going to say- Childhood, it's nurture. <laughs> it's the oldest debate in the book and- I'm very willing to admit that I am extremely nurture over nature. I mean, obviously genetics do play a role, but I am, like I said, I'm a trauma therapist. And so I definitely think that our environment can impact us 
way, way more than our genetics. And like, we've seen this in like twin studies, right? Who grow up in different homes and how that they are an adulthood, they are so different. And like, well, I absolutely believe that genetics play a role. Like we can definitely, mental disorders can be passed down. I think our genetics, I mean, our environment plays such a larger role. And so that's why they always, that's why I love it when shows show the background. Like I was just watching um, The Dropout on um hulu about elizabeth holmes and i was like there's no way that this woman just decided to put millions of people at risk by putting these tests out no she had parents who never ever said i love you and she also was raped in college so like she wasn't just born and like came up with an idea to hurt millions of people you know have you seen that show? right no i haven't but oh, i need, def- to, watch I need to watch it i know and i definitely uh know what you're talking about but yeah like you were saying it's not like people are just popping out this way when they're born and i think it's interesting too is a lot of these personality disorders by definition you mentioned emerge in early adulthood that's because mm-hmm. it's shit that happened in their childhood like i said you're not <laughs> always born right. like this it's stuff that you know, the coping mechanisms and projections that you come up with later on in life are emerging in maybe your teens or early adulthood. You're not seeing like a five-year-old narcissist because you like, that's never mentioned like childhood personality disorders because they're probably like extremely, extremely rare if they happen. This says in order to diagnose somebody, they must be at least 18 years of age. Um, Because while some children definitely can display traits, like I'm sure there's um, some shows or studies or movies about like children who display these traits, but they can't be diagnosed until they're actually legal age of 18. And so, yeah, it's like, because they want to see, okay, is this person just displaying traits? And if we get help, can they, um, shift away from these traits or are they going to develop them more intensely and then become diagnosable? Mm-hmm. And I read a book a couple of years ago called the push by Ashley Audrain, I believe it was. And essentially it's about a mother that went through trauma in her childhood but then she gives birth to a daughter in adulthood when she's married and the daughter turns out to be a narcissist or sociopath I don't remember which one by the time she was like six or seven years old and I was just so frustrated the entire book because I'm like why what made her act like this? You know, people <laughs> don't, aren't just popping out at birth with these personality disorders. I'm like, you're leaving out some trauma or something that happened to this little girl to make her display these traits because you don't just yeah. start acting like this unless you pick it up from somewhere. Right. And the documentary on Elizabeth Holmes, which I think is on HBO, doesn't talk about anything that she went through. And so she's displayed as this horrible human being who intentionally put people's health at risk when, and then the show, the show on Hulu shows how she was raised and shows what happens to her in college. And then also shows how impactful her relationship with Sonny, her business partner, who I would not be surprised if he met criteria for some personality disorder because the way he treats her is absolutely alarming. And so that's going to impact her as well. Um, Right. Definitely watch it, Ashley, and then we can talk about it on another episode because it's it's fascinating from a psychological standpoint. I will. I love uh, watching psychological-based stuff. So I will watch that and we can make it our pop culture moment (laughs) next week. You know what's – you know what's funny, Ashley? I can't remember who I was talking to this about, um, but I have the inability to watch TV without thinking, why are they like this? Like, I yes, cannot me too. Watch, I cannot watch TV and just take it as a TV show, whether it's a true crime doc or just something I'm watching on Netflix. I can't be like, oh, wow, this is a good show, or oh, wow, like this is really interesting. I have to be like, 
do they have trauma in their past? Like, do they have this? Why are they acting like this? Like, why are they treating this person so poorly? Like, it's it's right. a curse. Because <laughs> I watched my fiance just watch TV being like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Or, oh, like, that's cool. It was a good show. Me- meanwhile, I'm like going through my DSM that I had to be like, okay, what? what's going on with these people? Because something's <laughs> not right. It's, it's literally a curse. I literally wish I could just watch TV and detach my psychological brain from it, but I can't. I know. I absolutely do that too. And it's so frustrating. It's like, you're constantly almost having these, like for other people, it would be like a high thought, like what happened to this person when they were three years old? Did their parents love them? And it's like, <laughs> it's literally, it's Gilmore Girls. Stop. You oh know, my stop God. Yes. It. <laughs> but Gilmore Girls, I mean, we, I, we could probably have a whole episode psychoanalyzing Gilmore Girls with the different characters. We should do that sometime. Speaking of things that happened to you in your past, the next word we wanted to dive into is trauma. Um, in this one, I would have preference by saying that if someone tells me that they've had trauma in their past, I'm never, ever going to say that they're using that word inappropriately because the DSM does also not have a definition of trauma because, and I found this definition from a psychologist on Instagram, and I think it perfectly sums up what trauma is. Trauma is not an event, but your nervous system's natural response to an event or prolonged exposure to a series of events in which a real perceived threat occurs. The nervous system launches into a protective mechanism that shuts down brain and body functions in order to help you survive. Due to cortisol flooding, the system to protect you from pain and launch you into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn the memory of the event is stored implicitly, which means it's stored through emotions or through the body rather than explicitly, which means that's sometimes why you don't remember the full details of what happened to you. This event or ongoing events causes a shift in a sense of safety or how one views the world. And because trauma is solely dependent on what your nervous system perceives as threats, now what your thinking brain, your logical brain perceives as traumatic It's why what is traumatic for one person might not be traumatic for the other person, which is why we can only define trauma by the person experiencing, which is why the DSM doesn't have a definition. Sure, we have a PTSD definition, but trauma, it's so um, unique to an individual because of their individual nervous system. And that's why, yes, I think we use trauma a lot in pop culture. However, it's really hard to say if someone had trauma or not because it's how it affects them. Does that make sense? I know that was kind of a long definition. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really good definition because I think I see trauma being used more because thankfully now more people are recognizing what trauma is and that so many people have gone through trauma regardless Mm -hmm. of what it was, for example, the trauma in my adolescence was gun violence, but for somebody else, it could be sexual abuse. That doesn't, right. you know, we're not here to compare traumas. You should never do that. Be like, oh, my trauma's worse than this other person. So mine's more valid. That's absolutely not the case. Like Emily was saying, it's so extremely subjective to each case and can really mm-hmm. only be evaluated by a professional, by a licensed counselor or therapist that can kind of you know tailor that trauma work to you to make sure that you get the resources that you need because what might work for my trauma work and my PTSD might not help Emily we could need a totally different you know assignment to work through Mm -hmm. absolutely And I love that, yeah, people are talking more openly about the things that they've been through. Um, I think what it's, I feel like people use trauma in, in real, like, in ways that actually make sense. I feel like it's more like, oh my god, that was traumatizing. If they, like, watch a scary movie or something, it's like, no, that wasn't traumatizing, right? Like, sure, maybe it was upsetting, but it wasn't traumatizing. And again, I know I said that, like, it's anything that um, a person, you know, responds to, but I feel like we use, like, oh, my God, I'm traumatized. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm more like that is when I think that it's being overused or used improperly. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And can we also talk about what a trauma bond is? 
because I'm pretty sure that I use this term incorrectly and it's not actually what I'll, t I'll so I'll tell you what I assumed that it is just from seeing the word trauma and bond together yeah. I assumed it was you know two plus people experience a collective trauma together and so you have a trauma bond you're bonded together forever so you're saying um you think they have to experience the same trauma so, to be trauma bonded? Yeah, let me use a specific example. A couple of weeks ago, I was in a car accident with my friend. And after I was making a joke and I was like, oh, we have a trauma bond now because we almost died together. Yeah. So while, I do... <laughs> <laughs> so while I do not want to invalidate um, what what you're saying in your experience because I know about the car accident and I know that it was very very difficult um and again not saying it's not trauma however trauma bonding is often when an individual is bonded with their abuser not necessarily someone who experienced the same trauma as them but somebody who has it's kind of like Stockholm syndrome you ever I'm sure you've heard of that we I feel like we use that mm -hmm. like people were like oh I have Stockholm syndrome to my house because of the pandemic or things like that and it's like mm, no you don't yeah <laughs> but it's it's more when somebody is in a like someone's in a cycle of abuse they're and the reason sometimes they can't leave is because they're trauma bonded to this person because of this psychological impact that this person has had on them does that make sense Yes, it does. And I think I just assumed that trauma bond was the example that I gave, because when you see these two words together, trauma and bond, I just assume that it's, you know, you go through a difficult time with somebody, it's a trauma bond, you can both relate to that difficult experience, but it, it's more so, okay, me and my friend are just going through a difficult experience together at the same time and maybe feeling some of the same emotions. But yeah, I'm glad that you... Uh, specified that it can be like in an abuse, for example, say a domestic abuse situation. Yeah. A partner is physically abusing their spouse and it's easy for people on the outside to say, oh, just leave. Like they're hurting you. It seems like, yeah, duh, just get out of the situation. But that person might feel trauma bonded to their abuser for a variety of reasons, making it impossible to leave. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that I think trauma bonding is one of the reasons that victims don't leave their partner. Sure, there's other reasons like financial, kids, right, all these other things. But I think the trauma bond because it's, it's an emotional bond, right? So this person can get confused. Um, okay, because cycles of abuse, it's like where you, you're abused, right? And then they apologize. And then it happens again, right? And so this person can get very confused. And it can be, that's what trauma bonding is. And so they're like, okay, well, I, maybe it's not as bad as I think it is. Also, kind of gaslighting definitely goes in with abuse, um, especially in domestic violence situations. And so, yeah, well, I think the whole, we could easily think that the whole world has been trauma bonded because of the pandemic and all the crap that we've been through in the last two years. Trauma bonding, like the actual definition, applies more to abusive situations whether that's physically or emotionally or psychological where the victim is trauma bonded to their abuser and is there a better definition that you can think of for two people that have gone through a difficult situation together well there's collective trauma it's like you had said and that word i think is being used a lot more in the last couple of years because of the um the because of the pandemic like i was saying we're all dealing with the collective trauma, but that doesn't mean we're trauma bonded. Right. Okay. That's good to know. See, I'm learning new things every day. Now I know better <laughs> terminology to explain situations that I go through, which is what we are, you know, the whole premise of this podcast is just education and making sure that we can be better every day. So let's talk about the word trigger, because I feel like, especially in the last I don't know, probably like six or seven years, the word trigger is thrown around so easily like, oh, are you triggered? Or did I trigger you? Or 
especially in a political context unfortunately it's like oh you're a snowflake you're triggered and it's like that's not it, it just frustrates me to no end because it's like people do actually have triggers everybody's can be unique and you have no idea what could actually trigger something in somebody's brain to react a certain way right right and yeah the the overuse of the word trigger is actually a big problem in the mental health field and in in general because when we when we think of tr- the actual definition of trigger we think something that is activated in their nervous system that is related to their trauma so it might not be that they're the you know the exact time or the exact day or the exact event is what's triggering them but like a smell or a taste or a a feeling or sensation or sight can trigger somebody and make them feel like they're reliving their trauma, which I think that part is really important. When people are triggered, they feel like their trauma is happening in the present, even if it happened 20 years ago. And so that's why when we use the words like, oh my God, triggering, it's like, no, you're not reliving your trauma. It doesn't mean that your feelings are invalid if you're upset. It just means there's better words to use if you're upset about something, then triggered because you're more likely than not, you're not, when people use it in like social media, you're not reliving your trauma. Like, and by reliving your trauma, it means that your nervous system perceives you as reliving your trauma, not actually reliving your trauma. Does that make sense? Right. Absolutely. So say you watch a video online that makes you anxious and you say, oh my God, that's triggering. That's not exactly correct in terms of the terminology of it you could say oh that's making me really anxious or that's making me feel really nervous but it's not actually making you quote triggered because your nervous system isn't reacting in a way that relates to your past trauma and shutting down your nervous system and kind of activating all these different things in your body you're just feeling nervous or sick or these different emotions that don't equate to, you know, reliving your actual trauma. Right. Absolutely. It you your feelings are definitely invalid. And I think that's an important thing to mention about throughout this whole podcast. We're not saying that if you experience any of these things, it's not real or it's not valid. It just means, okay, is what happening actually match the definition or is what happening something else right like Ashley was saying are you anxious or are you having a difficult time in your relationship or is something happening versus when you're triggered or when you're dealing with a narcissist or somebody with antisocial personality disorder that's gonna look differently than being anxious about something online that doesn't relate to personal trauma right absolutely and I think that's the important thing is with all these different definitions we're just trying to narrow down and specify exactly what all these things are because so many of the definitions are very exact and have to meet Mm -hmm. multiple criteria. And you can't just use these definitions and these words to paint a broad brush over a situation because these are some of the most like descriptive things that you could apply to somebody or a situation. Absolutely. And you know what I think we I think we should make this a, a series. So I think we're gonna end there for today. We wanted to talk about some of the most popular words we see used in social media. But I'm thinking we're gonna make this a series because there's other words that are out there that are definitely mental health related and are used in the improper way. And so if you like this episode, let us know. Also, we'll put up a question box because I'm sure Ashley and I are not hitting all the most popular words used or we, you know, we won't because we're only two people. So we'll put up a question box. And if there's any other words you want us to dive into, we'll do that in a later episode. Um, And as always, Mm -hmm. if anything came up that was upsetting or triggering or if anything was like oh gosh I think I'm dealing with something like this in my life or somebody like like this in my life please reach out to a professional this is not therapy right this is for educational purposes only Mm -hmm. absolutely and we're confident that if you are able to reach out to 
you know, a close friend or a third party or licensed therapist, they can better help you kind of navigate your specific situation. Because like we were saying, with all these terms and definitions, every situation is so unique. And so is the situation of all of our listeners. So um, make sure to, you know, follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our podcast. It definitely really, really helps us out being able to get this you know, this education out to more people. So we have some fun episodes and interviews lined up for the next couple of weeks. So make sure to stay tuned. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, love you, Ash. All right. Love you, Em. I'll talk to you later.